We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A dot com. Thanks for listening. Guys, uh, you can be seated. I just want to celebrate something for just a moment. Every single Sunday, we have a crew that arrives to set up and to make everything ready for you and for our partners that come in every single Sunday. I just want to give a hand. Every single week, these people come and sacrifice their time and get the lobby ready and make coffee and mess with Christmas trees and presents. And um, if you've ever bought a tree with flocking, you could have warned somebody, okay? Because I look like a snowball when I'm done putting that tree out there, okay? That thing is crazy messy, but I love it. It's so pretty. (laughs) It's one of my favorite trees ever. I don't know about you, but have you ever received a gift at just the right time in your life that kind of changed your life forever? When I first said yes to Jesus, I was in a little church Um, and it was mostly older people, but they had a youth ministry, and that's what I stepped into. That was what I was asked to step into when I volunteered to serve in some capacity. And so I stepped into a very old and very old school, I will say church, that had uh, a need for me, and so I walked into doing Sunday school for teenagers. It was pretty crazy. I had no clue what I was doing. I was in my early 20s. I had just said yes to Jesus, and I was still trying to figure out how to get my, uh, my heart and myself aligned with Jesus. He was working some things out in me. But there was this little man in our church, and it started every Sunday I would come into church, and there was this little round bald man, and he always smelled old, Um, I don't know how else to say it. He always smelled a little like mothballs. Uh, It wasn't a knock to him. It was just the way he was. But every time I saw him, he greeted me with this huge smile. His name was Carl McConnell. And I didn't know much about Mr. Carl, but I knew that every Sunday he had a big smile for me. And he always fished into his pocket and pulled out hard candies. Wrapped, thank God. But hard candies, And it began that every Sunday he would excitedly give me his gift of hard candies. And I took them because I'm telling you right now, I'm a fool for cinnamon discs. My blessed mother-in-law knows this, and she often gets me bags of cinnamon discs for my office, and I appreciate it. If you come to my office and we ever have a chance to meet there, you'll find a bowl of cinnamon discs by my desk that I invite you to take part in because they're amazing. So I would always take this candy, and sometimes it was butterscotches, and sometimes it was those little peppermints with white and red, right, the stripes on them, and sometimes it would be cinnamon discs. And then the relationship began to grow between me and Mr. Carl. There wasn't a lot of people that affirmed me and my leadership. I was young, and I'm pretty sure they didn't think I would last very long, um, especially when they threw me in the lion's den of teenagers. Um, But I was working it out. Mr. Carl one day met me at the front door with his handful of candy. Then he excitedly said, I have something else for you. I said, oh, really? What is it? And he handed me his books. I didn't know that Carl McConnell was actually a pastor at one point in his life. And he handed me these very, very old, and when I say old, I mean brown pages, 
round the edges, old, but they were 100 questions about God and the answers and uh, sermon outlines that were amazing. And when I opened them, it had his name, Reverend Carl McConnell in them. And he said, I know that you're going to do great things for God. And I believe in you. And I wanted you to have my books to get you started. Can I just tell you that that meant so much to me that this man who was on his way out of ministry, this man who had retired, believed in a little girl in the middle of a church where not very many people were affirming ministry for women. But Mr. Carl did. I still have those books. They're still in my office, and it's the one thing I'll probably never get rid of because it reminds me of somebody who gave me just the right gift at just the right moment that let me know that there was a purpose for me and a future for me and that God was going to provide. I was able to go and get an education, and I still keep those books, and they're still really, really good. Some of the sermon outlines I can still use today, even though they were written quite a long time ago um, in the 1930s and 40s, believe it or not. Gifts are a natural response to generosity. It's a natural outcropping of being generous. And generosity is a natural response for worship. When we um, realize the value of somebody, we worship them and we bestow gifts on them. Unfortunately, in our, in our culture, it kind of goes sideways and we idolize people who shouldn't be idolized and we give them gifts that we should never give them, right? I think about celebrities who have tons and tons of things and people just send them packages and things all the time. I'm thinking, guys, what are you doing? They probably have enough. Remember, you gave them your money to go to their concert or whatever. But what happens, though, when we are confronted with the opportunity to give up our way the way we've lived our lives, to let somebody else kind of take over, how do we respond? How will you respond? Imagine with me for just a minute that you have been at your job for about 30 years. In that time, you've grown in power and wealth, and you've made friends at the corporate level of your organization, and you are like a mid-management uh, mecca. You are doing life mid-management. Um, your employees, though, don't really like you. Um, they are not happy with your leadership style. You've managed to uh, a system to take care of their complaints, actually. So if anybody kind of speaks out about you, you just kind of have them taken care of, and uh, they don't work for you anymore. And that's probably a good thing uh, because it creates the fear that you need so that you can control them. And uh, somewhere you heard a song, right, that's like fear leads to wisdom or something like that. And it's good that they're afraid of you. You can govern them better and keep them doing what you want them to do. And you're at a branch of corporate. You've got the corner office and your secretary comes up to you and she says, boss, there's somebody here. They look real important. You better come see. And, and they have, have come here from a really far distance and you're like, and they're looking for the boss. And you're like, well, that's me. All right, I gotta, all right, let's get ready. These people are coming in. And likely you think, oh, they want to gain my wisdom on how I've managed so well. That they want to see how I've done things. Surely they've heard about me from afar and they've come to let me know how awesome I am. And they enter 
dripping with the finest, and you think, oh, this is it. Finally, the recognition I deserve. I'm finally going to get this. And, and you smile at them, but you notice they're kind of looking around the room. And they say, where's the ball? Where's the ball? We, we got the timing worked out. We know that there's a new boss coming. Where, where is he? And you go, uh, what new boss? And they said, we got the manual. We, we know a guy named Daniel, remember, a long time ago, he gave us a manual and he said that the new boss was coming. So where is he? Deflated that you're not, they're not the real, you're not the real reason they're here. You recall that somebody from HR might know about this. So you call HR and you said, hey, 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 what is this about this new boss that's coming? And you call them to ask, and you smile through gritted teeth. Tell me about when this new boss is coming. It's in the HR manual, apparently. And they say, yeah, yeah, about six miles south. New boss is showing up. And you think, all right, cool. Good luck finding him. Well, why don't you go ahead and do what they said. Uh, HR says he's six miles south. Go ahead and find him. Uh, and let me know, because I have a gift. I would like to give him myself. This is exactly what happened. What would you do when you realized that you were no longer in charge? As a matter of fact, you probably realize that you're, you're not the boss and there's a new boss coming. What would you think if you knew you would no longer hold the wealth and power that you've worked 30 years to retain? And your leadership style was about to be threatened, what would you do? Would you give them a gift? Or would you try to remain in charge? The truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ was born a king, and much like that people in the very first Christmas, it's so important that you make the choice every day from the moment you heard the good news that Jesus Christ has been born, that he'd come to save you, he died on a cross for your sins, and he rose again from the grave. Once you've heard that message, you choose every day what you do with that. Herod had a choice. And we're going to read about his choice versus some other people who showed up and let him know that corporate had changed the plan. <laughs> HR had a manual that he wasn't following, and things were about to go south for him. What do you do with the news that you are not in charge. What do you do with that? Will you respond with real worship or fake worship while you try and figure out how you can get control back? Will our response result in generosity and an investment in the new kingdom, or will we stop at nothing to keep what we think we had in the first place? You are confronted with the choice Every day, whether or not you're going to believe the message that Jesus is the Messiah and that you're going to allow him to control your life or you're going to take back the throne of your heart every single day and say, no, 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 well, today is about me. Today is me day, me day. I'm going to take it back and I'm going to do what I want. And this is my plan and my purpose. And you can grip tight your life or you can choose a different way. Matthew retells the truth about what happens when two different groups receive the news that the Christ had come. 
The Messiah was here. He was born. And the responses could not be more opposite. Matthew is so brilliant because he shows us some unique truths about our choice when we receive the news that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to look at this in Matthew 2 today, and we're starting in verse 1. You can join me. It's on the screen ahead of you, or if you can pull out your phones, that would be great too, and take notes. I'm all about that life. Matthew 2, verse 1, says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Both Herod and the Magi are presented with the truth that Jesus was born. Both of them. The Magi likely inherited the date and the information about when the Messiah would come in their hometown in Babylon. You see, a long, long time ago, there was a prophet named Daniel that was taken into captivity. And he was given a prophecy about the Messiah. And he was given a clear time schedule of when that would happen. You see, Daniel became distinguished in his leadership, and so they put him in charge. So Daniel began to instruct the people of Babylon about the Messiah. He wrote it all down for them, and that's why we have the book of Daniel now. The Magi likely had that information and had worked out the dates and had worked out when the Messiah would come, and then they had a confirmation that they saw in the heavens. God allowed for this one moment in time a star to appear and they knew the timing and it was amazing. Now Herod was given the title king of the Jews by Rome. He was not fully Jewish but because he was part Jewish they decided that it would be a good idea to make him a ruler over the nation. They would have uh, they would have totally put him in charge of Judea and over the Jews and he kind of had this dominion over Judea. Now, he had some trouble with Rome, and um, if you didn't know, Cleopatra actually uh, took his land from him. He didn't like her very much. They had some issues, this war between people over extra land. And he was not part of the Davidic line, which everyone knew was where the Messiah would come from. But he tried to win over the people by rebuilding the temple. He tried to win over the people constantly, but he also rebuilt the pagan temples. So we can see that he was a people pleaser. He was just trying to make people happy so that he could retain his uh, reign over this area. His loyalty was only ever to himself. In honesty, he was so worried about losing his position and so worried about not having his power and wealth anymore, that jealousy drove him to kill his wife and his two oldest sons. This man was power hungry to the nth degree. And here these magi show up. These guys are scientists likely and also uh, researchers of history. And so we're presented with the Magi and Herod in these two opposing responses to the news that Messiah had come. One knew and was waiting. The other was familiar but not waiting. How interesting is it that the Babylonians, far from Jerusalem, far from uh, the center of worship, 
knew about the Messiah well enough to know the time and the date when he would come and stopped everything, packed it up, and went to go celebrate. But the one Jewish leader of the area had no clue and had to ask priests, where the heck is this guy coming from? He didn't even know his own history. He didn't even know enough. He wasn't waiting for the Messiah. He was trying to be the Messiah. Matthew 2 continues that they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Herod must have really enjoyed someone asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because Herod was never born to be king. He had fought and he'd clawed and he'd uh, manipulated and lied and fought his way to power. He had to pay people and he politically maneuvered and even married to posture himself to rule. And then he maintained his rule by killing to making sure it stayed that way. The Magi, on the other hand, were looking for and thought they would find the, the newborn king in a palace. They might have had the star to guide them, but when they got there, they needed the wisdom of the Jewish people to help them figure it all out in the end. And they asked for it. Sometimes we make assumptions about who God is and where we would find him. If we're honest with ourselves for just a minute, oftentimes when we're looking for God, we look in all the wrong places. We think God is going to have all of this gold splendor and all of this wonderful stuff. And, and we, we look for a ruler who is maybe cruel and exacting. So many of us have this misperception that God is cruel and he's just waiting over top of you with a hammer so that if you do something wrong, he could bop you on the head and tell you how terrible you are. Some of us think that God is just mystical and far off and not really involved in our lives and he's, he's maybe just somewhere out there like a magi somewhere out there kind of looking for things but never really getting involved in our lives. And we look for God in myth, mystical things that happen around us. Oh, well, that must be a sign, and this must be a sign, and oh, I'm pretty sure that was a sign that God meant this or that. Or maybe we think that we will find him in the highest order of religion with the most gold and the most liturgy and the most rites and the most rituals and the most, most, most. We think that we will find him in a lavish palace and all the pleasures that accompany a good life but he's not there. And we follow all kinds of calculations and stars and prophecies looking for a version of God that we imagine in our minds and often we come up missing him because we've been looking in the wrong place to begin with. We look at everywhere with the Bible and I want to declare to you this morning very clearly that the Bible is absolutely 100% the infallible word of God. And everything I say and everything I do is ordered by that one book. It is absolutely of God. Make no mistake about it. Matthew 2 continues to tell us that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Brother got shook real quick. He got shook real quick. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born where he did. 
Where's he at? This Messiah, where's he at? I'm going to find him. Herod was disturbed, and apparently word got around Jerusalem because it says in all Jerusalem with him. So it's not like this group of magi. By the way, there wasn't only just three. There's nowhere in this scripture that says there's three. That's just something we assume. So I'm going to prove to you a couple ways that your nativity theme is probably wrong. Um, in a lot of ways, it's totally wrong. And I have one too, and it's, it's, it's not accurate, biblically accurate at all. It was a group. We don't know how big. It could have been two. It could have been 20. We have no idea. But it was big enough of a procession that when it arrived in Jerusalem and it arrived um, going into Herod's palace, um, it made quite a stir. People noticed. So they were wealthy. They were powerful. They were smart. And they brought the entourage. Because Herod didn't do anything to them. He knew well enough that these people were likely connected to a king where they'd been sent from and not to mess with them. He's like, fine, I'll just use them as pawns to get what I need. See, he wanted more information, and he was more disturbed, and he was formulating a plan already. He never saw the Messiah as an answer to prayer. Rather, he saw him as a political threat. He wasn't looking for the Messiah. He was looking for power. So in Matthew 2, 5 and 6, we see what happens next. It says, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. This quote comes from Micah 2 and 4, and it let both the Magi and Herod know where the Messiah was to be born. Now, Herod seems less convinced um, and doesn't detach, uh, doesn't like worry about uh, sending his own delegation to figure out if this is true. Do you realize this? He doesn't believe this. He believes it, but he's like, mm, maybe, maybe not. I don't, I'm not really buying it because if, if he really did, he probably would have sent his own people to go investigate this thing. But instead, he says wisely to, the, to these uh, magi who'd come from afar, he says, you know what? Why don't you go check it out, guys? Let me know. Let me know. I want to see. And everyone really in Everyone in, in Jerusalem and around Judea and in this countryside really wanted to get away from the Roman rule. Nobody liked it. They were so tired of the extra taxes and the soldiers and all of the stuff and this new order and all the rules and restrictions on their worship and all the pagan temples that were going up and all of the ugliness that was happening because Rome invaded their area. Nobody wanted Rome and Judea. They wanted somebody to make them wealthy and powerful again. Like David's time. I am pretty sure that they kept going, well, you know, when David was king, we had all this stuff. You know, when David was in charge, we had all the food. When David had it, you remember like the temple was amazing after song. Do you remember how wonderful it was? And can I tell you as a person who, who loves Seaford and has lived in Seaford, if I hear one more time, we miss DuPont, I am going to scream. Move forward, people. Move forward. Forward. The way is forward, okay? Uh, they were all crying about the way it used to be. We missed the way it was before. Well, guess what? It wasn't going to be like it ever was before. Craig Rochelle said this, and I thought it was absolutely astounding. He said, everyone was expecting God to send a king. In fact, people in Jesus' day wanted someone to rule their country, but not necessarily their hearts. Not necessarily their hearts. 
a lot of us in Seaford want change. We want growth. We want things for our city and Laurel and Bridgeville. We want things. We want to move forward. But it's not going to happen unless we have a heart change. And our heart has to start with Christ. So if you want anything better for Seaford, start with your own heart. If you want anything for your city, anything for your family, you've got to start with you. And the question is, what will you do with the news that the Messiah has come? What will you do? So then Herod called the Magi secretly, we read in 7, and found out from them the exact time the star was going to, had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. What? A load of stuff. No intention of going and worshiping anybody. He was too busy worshiping himself. There was no way he was going to do that. Herod decided to use the Magi to gather intel. I mean, after all, it would look like he actually put stock in what they said if, uh, if he sent somebody else. And people might really actually believe that a real king of the Jews has been born. So he just secretly calls them in and says, Hey guys, let me know if this thing's a real deal or not. And I'll come and I'll worship. But he never made the pronouncement, I will worship in front of anybody else. And he made sure it was a secret because he didn't want anybody to know that he actually put a little validity in what was happening and he was getting them real, real nervous. Real nervous. He feigned worship to gain information and he looked devout in front of the Magi to use them to retain his power and eliminate the newest threat. And his response to the news of the Messiah was to give him no rule and no reign in his heart whatsoever. He said, no thanks. Matthew 2, 9 through 10 says that after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They followed what their Jewish friends had told them about Bethlehem, and they were confirmed because God had a plan. You see, God's always had a plan for Gentiles. God's always had a plan for all people everywhere to know Jesus. In the most far-flung reaches of this earth, God has been there. I love the stories from missionaries around the globe who encounter new tribes. Several of them, especially in Africa, had found tribes that hadn't heard of Jesus yet, but interestingly carried images of the cross and said, that they had an encounter with God and they knew this information. How crazy is that? God has declared himself in so many ways, in so many times. And the Magi, though they were far from Jerusalem and far from Jewish descent, were given the opportunity to worship. Each and every one of us has the opportunity to worship God. He leveled the playing field when he died for our sins on the cross. He leveled it for me, for some ridiculous, bratty kid. He leveled it for you. I'm sure you were wonderful and not a bratty kid, right? You were all perfect and wonderful in every way. Probably not. But he died for us and he made a place for us and he made a way for us all the way back at the beginning. Now, they knew that he wasn't at the palace anymore. They'd got that wrong. So God had to give them guidance to let him find something a lot more humble than they had thought the king of the Jew would be in. 
He wanted them to be rewarded for their diligence of carrying that prophecy and the promise and waiting for it. And so the Jewish people may reject the Messiah, but the Messiah would never reject any who saw him. Isn't that so cool? His own people from the very, very start rejected him. But he brought Gentiles from afar who would worship him. How crazy. How good is God? Verse 11 continues, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped it. Now, it must have been sometime after Mary and Joseph had delivered Jesus, because now they have a house. So again, your nativity scene is wrong. They're not still in the manger when the Magi show up. There is no, like, bale of hay. Like, they actually have a house house now. So they actually have a place there in Bethlehem to call their own, and that's where the Magi find them, in a house. So Jesus may have been not a baby in a manger or a baby in Mary's lap, but a toddler rolling around the floor. Toddling, doing what toddlers do, getting into everything, right? Getting all the things, finding Plinko chips, right, Harley? Um, <laughs> toddlers do crazy stuff. And it seems that the Magi didn't uh, need to inquire or ask because they knew they'd found the Messiah. They knew. Man, they knew this is the Messiah, humble in his beginnings. And their response was to worship him. There's two responses that the Magi had that I want, to, want you to pay special interest to. It says first that they bowed down. There was a submission and a surrender and their very first call to action, the very first thing they do was to say, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, God the Son, and we will submit to him. We submit to this king of Jews. There is nothing that is more humbling than to get on your knees. And that is exactly what they did. They say yes to following God's way. When we say yes to following God's way, we give up the way we are living. We give up the way our heart is structured and we give it over to God and we say, you reshape us, you reform us, you make us new. And this is exactly what happens when we bow down and surrender our lives to him. So have you bowed down? Have you said yes, or are you still like Herod, trying to hold your own way in your life? No, God, I'm going to do it my way, and then you can just say yes to it. When God is saying, no, 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 we have to do this my way, or you won't get to the end I have for you. And I have a very good end in mind for you. It's a good place I have for you, but if you don't do it my way, you're not going to get there, kiddo. You've got to go about it the right way. You've got to surrender all of the sin in your life and all of the things that you've been doing and all of the places and all of the ideals you had about me. Jesus said, I am humble and low in heart and gentle. Follow me. Have you bowed down? I'm going to give you an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus. We're going to give you the opportunity to recommit your life to him and say, I just want to come back. The next thing they did was worship. Guys, worship is a celebration. I am so excited for Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is going to be an amazing family celebration. It's going to have uh, so many elements that are going to be fun and exciting. And yes, we're having family versus family games, so you have to bring your people the good news is, is that you get to have the kids in pajamas. Now listen, adults, if you want to wear pajamas, I'm, I'm okay with it, but let's, let's be all matching. Let's, if you're going to do it, go all out. I'm just saying. 
It is going to be an amazing night. So please, please, please join us and invite your whole entire family to come and have fun and games with us because worship is a celebration and we love to celebrate Jesus's birth. Worship is praising and honoring God for who he is, not for what he does just for you, but for who he is. And when you get a good idea of who Jesus is and who God is, that he's humble and low and gentle and loving and kind, you worship all the more. Like the Magi, we should celebrate Jesus' birth. He is worthy of all of our worship, and his birth was just the beginning of him taking on our sin and shame. He is worthy of all worship. They go on to say in verse 11, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After they submitted and worshiped came the most exciting response that we can also give to Jesus, and that's the giving of our gifts. We can give Jesus our gifts, what God has placed in our hands. Gifts align our heart to his. They, they provide for the needs of others. They connect us to the people we give to, and they advance the kingdom of God. The Magi gave three gifts. Now, what's interesting about this is that they gave three gifts and I want to ask you, if you were in Mary and Joseph's position and you had very little and you had to leave your whole entire family, what would these three gifts mean to you? If you're the two that heard about the coming of this baby that you had and you knew it was miraculous, but it's two years after you've had this baby and he doesn't seem like, crazy miraculous. I mean, he's still toddling around. He didn't come out talking. What do you think it would have meant to receive these magi from afar and to be presented with these gifts? Well, I can tell you that it would feel very much like a Carl McConnell book affirming who Jesus was for them. It was a stamp of, this is real. We have been waiting a while but this is a confirmation that this is the ministry we've been called to. This baby is special. And this is like a promise of, oh, yes, he is special. Somebody else is seeing how special this is. It became an affirmation to them that they were continuing to follow God's plan for their lives and that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They gave first gold, it says. Now, gold um, in the Old Testament was something that was always associated with the presence of God, because Solomon used the gold and he built the temple, and it was a place uh, in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And this place is what Solomon covered with gold. We're talking all the gold all the time up in there. You think a Catholic church has gold? Nah, baby, ain't got nothing on this. Dude, top, top down, altar, all the things, gold all the time. And it was the place where the priest would make the sacrifice on behalf of the people and this gift by the wise men foreshadowed that there would be a time when Christ would become the sacrifice. That his blood would be the blood that would be shed for all of our sins. And Jesus gave us the gift of becoming our high priest forever. The one who can intercede on our behalf before God. And Jesus gave us our connection to God and it is a gift that you've been given 
that you get to know God and have a real relationship with God. And this gold signified that. The second gift that they gave was frankincense. And frankincense is interesting. It's a dried sap from a specific tree that grows in the southern end of the Arabian Peninsula. So the bark of the tree has to be pierced first. And then it has to be purified. So the first sap comes out and it gets tossed aside. And then several more cuts are made in the tree. And then the sap pours out and it forms a tear. This tear is then broken off the tree and then it is crushed and used as an aromatic resin and is burned as incense by priests in the temple as part of ritual worship and sacrifice made to God to cover sins. Isn't that remarkable? The gift foretold what was to come when Isaiah prophesied that he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. These were no ordinary gifts. These were purposeful, they were intentional, and they had so much deeper meaning than when you just read them over. And the final one is myrrh. Alfie joked that he had no idea how to spell myrrh until he got my notes. <laughs> I said, me neither, bro. It's a, it's a weird one, two R's. What is that all about? But myrrh is, um, it signifies that Jesus Christ is the anointed one because myrrh was used in the Old Testament as an anointing oil um, that was made in a perfume. It was also perfume in ancient Egypt that was used in the embalming process. How weird to give a baby an embalming process ingredient. Like, that's a little weird. But it was significant. Uh, one one uh, scholar pointed out, her name was Swenson, she pointed out that myrrh has been used as a perfume in ancient Egypt in the embalming process, and which Christians have interpreted as foreshadowing Christ's death. Um, in Mark 15, 23, Jesus is offered wine mixed with myrrh before his crucifixion because it was a painkiller. But myrrh would have also been used in the oil for anointing kings, which is significant. Because not only did it signify that Jesus, yes, he was the king of the Jews, but it also signified that one day he would take on all our sin and all our pain on the cross. And when he was offered an out, when they offered to him the myrrh to dull his pain, he said, no, I'm going to feel it all. And he chose to humble himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It also demonstrated that Jesus Christ was our suffering servant. It showed us that he would suffer for us fully. And these gifts are meaningful, but they're also timely. Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus would have the needs of these gifts in the very near future when they had to run, baby run. How do you think they could have ever afforded to get to Egypt? How do you think that they could have ever paid to get out of Dodge and to take everything and get out when they needed to. Verse 12 continues in Matthew 2, 12. It says, And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi, returned to their own country by another route. This was one time when they were instructed to not go tell it on the mountains, y'all, okay? <laughs> they were like, oh, go tell it on the mountain because if Herod finds out, he's going to be crazy, and he was. And we'll see more about that next week. Herod was about to go into self-destruct mode and in epic rage and because they wanted to protect the Messiah from the enemy and because they were obedient to God till the very end these wise men uh, left and said we are not even going to tell Herod which way we on home 
We don't even want brother to know where we're at. Forget about it because they knew without a shadow of doubt they had found the Messiah. Both of these uh, people responded to the Messiah and it couldn't be more different. Herod was interested in himself only. He feigned worship. He was disturbed and it led to destruction. The Magi were overjoyed enough to prepare for a journey and go after God. And they looked where they thought the king would be, but it wasn't in a palace. But they had real worship and they included gifts and they were devoted. They made sure that Jesus was protected and not told, you know, where Herod could find him. And the response of the Magi was repentance and submission and worship and generosity. And one of the ways we've chosen to celebrate Jesus' birth is to give gifts to one another. I have uh, so many amazing gifts that I look forward to giving my family this Christmas. And we honor Christ by caring for and giving gifts that further advance his kingdom. You see, the Magi made the choice to seek the Messiah and to submit to him. So I want to give you an opportunity right now, and if you would just, for just a moment, kind of close your eyes and go with me, search your heart. If you have not ever said yes to Jesus, like, I'm going to surrender my heart to you. I don't want to follow my own way anymore. I want to follow you. If that's you this morning, I would love for you to pray with me. We're going to pray a prayer together. And if that's you, after we pray this prayer, you're going to see a QR code come on the screen. I would love for you to snap that QR code and send that text and just let us know. We're just going to give you a, a shout out this week via text. And if at any time you don't want to receive any messages from us, you can just self-talk. We just want to know that you said yes today. Father, we just thank you that you hear us. Father, we want to say yes to you today. We want to say that that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to allow him into my heart to rearrange um, everything in my life and to start fresh. I say yes today, Jesus. Would you fill me? Would you let the Holy Spirit um, touch me right now so that I know that you have heard me, that I surrender my life to you. I'm going to bend my knee. I bow to you and I worship you, God. I say yes to you. If that's you, with your, your head still bowed, um, would you raise your hand and just let me know that way too? And then please, uh, please feel free to snap the QR code. Maybe you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus, but something has allowed you to go off course. And you find that oftentimes you're wrestling with God's will and, and your own and making your own way. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus and you want to say, I'm back. I'm tired of following my way. I don't want to end up like Herod. I don't want to be that guy or that girl. I want to really surrender my life to you. If that's you, would you pray with me now? God, I'm back. I want to come back home. I miss you and I love you. Would you please come and confirm by your Holy Spirit that I am yours? That's me, God. I say yes to you all over again today. If that's you, please, please take the opportunity to text I'm back to 94,000 or to scan the QR code on the screen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com 
That's hope, B-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.